listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans 5. We're, we've been going through the Gospel of John. We're taking a break from the Gospel of John today. And every few weeks we've been revisiting an ongoing sermon series called Characteristics of a Christ-Centered Church. We, we believe that a healthy church is one that never stops looking to and living in light of the person and work of Christ. And uh, because of that we describe ourselves as the same things church. I realize that that may not make sense to, you, to, to people. Sometimes I say things that don't make any sense. I'm aware of that. Uh, but uh, being a same things church, and I hope it, it, it's defined today in a sense, but it means we're, we're never going to move on to something different. Now, that doesn't mean we won't talk about different things. We won't talk about life and all the little nuances but we're never moving on from the word of God and the gospel of God, okay? That, that, that's what we're saying. We are a same things church. We're gonna constantly be going back to never move on from Christ and his saving work in the gospel and only grow. That's what we believe, that as we do that, we are to grow in applying the gospel to every part of life. So in, in that sense, we will talk about different things, but it's all connected to the gospel to Christ himself, his life, his person, and his, his work. The gospel, I'm aware of this, many people, their understanding of the gospel is that it's, it's just the doorway into the household of God. It's the doorway into the family of God. But I've heard it put like this, and I would agree with this. You've heard me say this. It's not just the doorway into the house. It is the house that we live in. We live life in the gospel. We never move on from the gospel. We live life in the gospel. And so that's what it means to be a same things church. We are just never going to move on from the gospel. I love Pastor Rob. The last two weeks he preached and both Sundays he started off with, you know what the main topic of the sermon is going to be today? Jesus. We're never going to move on from Jesus. And church, pray. Pray that that would always be the case for us. Amen? Pray that would always be the case for us. Today, we see that being a Christ-centered church should lead to the characteristic of being a church filled with gospel joy, a joy that is rooted in and motivated by the gospel. So with that, let's read Romans 5, verses 6 through 11. We will pray. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. 
much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. Lord, we come as weak little sheep. Lord, we come as distracted sheep. And Lord, we need you to grab hold of our hearts and redirect our eyes this morning to what we truly need, and that is you. Lord, give us understanding. Lord, I realize I am... I am just a mere man, little creature preacher. We need your Holy Spirit to take your powerful word that you have spoken into existence and apply it to our hearts. So, Lord, would you would you meet us in this moment? Lord, as your word is unpacked and preached and reproclaimed, Lord, would you meet us? Would you apply your word in powerful ways to each little pocket of our hearts, the hidden places, the places where we struggle, the places where we doubt, Lord, all of it, Lord, the places where we're weary and weak, Lord, would you apply the truths of the gospel this morning to know you and to know your love and to know your saving work, and would you cause within this church body glad hearts to grow within us? Would you cause joy to grow in us, Lord? It is fitting that we be people of joy, but we recognize it is often hard. Grab hold of us this morning and do your good work that you would build your church. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, amen. When I was in high school, I drove a white Chevy Blazer SUV. It's kind of cool, actually. No. I drove a white Chevy Blazer SUV. I thought it was cool. It was my first car or my first vehicle. I I began to drive it. I I fixed it up as best as I could. That Blazer took me all sorts of places. Took me all sorts of places. I thought I found so much joy and identity through that Blazer. I really did think it was cool to me. And I, I thought where it could take me would just endless possibilities and joys leading up to me getting that blazer. Oh, the anticipation of it just ruled my heart. Just absolutely ruled my heart. I was enthralled with that blazer. It ushered me to hundreds of joy-filled experiences with friends and family. It took me to football games. It took me to basketball games. It took me to track meets, gatherings with friends even turning what seemed to be bad experiences into joyous occasions like getting stuck in the mud. But because my blazer was a four by four, you know what that meant, right? It took me from almost getting stuck to doing joy-filled, I would say, donuts in the mud. That, that, that blazer faithfully took me to joy-filled experience after joy-filled experience until, until one day, My blazer, my, if you want to call it my chariot of joy, broke down. And it it was the beginning of many breakdowns. I, I tried to keep driving it. And as I did, more and more often it would leave me stranded 
It couldn't get me there anymore. We tried to have it fixed and a a mechanic eventually gave us the diagnosis that just as to what the problem was with my chariot of joy, that there were issues with the engine that could not be fixed. It was engine failure is what the the mechanic said. Engine failure. Your engine is broke down. If you're going to keep driving this, if I'm going to keep driving my chariot of joy, I need a new engine. I could no longer depend upon that broken down engine to get me to places of joy. I think we long for joy, but many times we're trusting in broken engines. I think we're trusting in broken engines that will only leave us stranded. We think they're our chariot of joy. We think they're the coolest thing, right? We think this is it. This is my chariot of joy, but it only leaves us stranded. We start trying to build our joy or empower our joy off of experiences or circumstances or health or weather or people or in what we have or in what we don't have or in obedient children or in a relationship or just simply based off of how I feel today. We put our trust in those things to get us to joy. But because we live in a sin-broken world, those things will ultimately fail us. So a question for you as we get started. I talked about my white Chevy Blazer So I put my old chariot of joy on the table that was broke down. What is your chariot of joy that really is just a broke down engine that you're depending upon that will only leave you stranded? What broke down engine are you depending on to bring you to joy? Spirit, show us what broke down engines we're depending upon to bring us to joy. In Romans 5, we see that the engine empowering joy in the Christian's life is the gospel. It doesn't leave us stranded. It doesn't break down. It's the unchanging, unfading, never failing source of joy for the Christian. The gospel is the empowering engine of the Christian's joy. And why? The gospel shows us God's love towards us. When we gaze and we peer upon the gospel, it shows us God's love towards us and his saving work for us and his relationship with us that results in joy in us. Saints, do you know that one of the greatest dangers to this church, and I've heard this before and I've pondered this, And I I would affirm this. One of the greatest dangers of this church is not persecution. There's a persecuted church among the nations, but yet they're glad in Jesus. Our Our greatest danger is not persecution. It's not sickness. It's not financial ruin. It's not the lack of our own building, though that would be really nice. The greatest danger to us is that we lose a vibrant joy in the God of our salvation. The greatest danger is that we be a church that is joyless. That's the greatest danger for us. The the greatest danger is that we misplace our joy in fleeting and broken down things that can never satisfy or sustain us with true joy. 
A church that is joyless because we're misplacing our joy. A church that is joyless in God is like a moon that stops reflecting light in the darkness. A church that is joyless in God because we're misplacing our joy is is like a city that is no longer shining on a hill for all to see. We lose our vibrancy. The church's joy is what displays the beauty and glory of God. That he is far better than any treasure or delight that this world has to offer. Even cool Chevy Blazers when I'm 15 years old. He's far better than anything this world has to offer. And for the Christian, there is nothing else in this world that can cause joy to swell up in your hearts like the gospel. And may God, may the Spirit of God convince us of that today. There is nothing else in this world that can cause joy to swell up in you like the gospel can. The gospel is the ultimate joy generator of our hearts. And so in the opposite way, if or when we neglect the gospel or are tempted to move on from the gospel as if there are better things that we must move on to and talk about or we get tired about, of talking about it or, or, or the church gets tired of talking about it, when or if we move on, when that happens, the Christian's joy shrinks. When we, when we choose to move on from the gospel, it's because we are purposing to misplace our joy in something else. When I'm talking about joy, I'm not talking about being the most bubbly in the room, I'm not talking about being the, the loudest in the room, I'm not talking about the person who's just always smiling and never seems like times are hard. (laughs) Sometimes I think that as Christians who believe in the sovereignty of God and His goodness, that when times get hard, it's like when someone comes and asks us, how are you doing? We have to put on some smile and, oh, it's, it's all good. Now I've started saying, It's better than I deserve. And I didn't make that up. I heard another pastor say that. And I heard a a man in our previous church say that. And I said, you know, I'm going to inherit that because life is hard. It's better than I deserve because of God's grace. But can I tell you how I'm doing? I'm struggling. I'm weak. I'm weary. Let's just be honest. I'm not talking about the kind of joy that has to hide trouble. When, when When I'm talking about joy, I'm talking about the joy that may be there in the midst of a flood of tears and heartbreaking sorrows. A joy that in the midst of sorrow, a joy that transcends our circumstances, that is supernaturally glad in God. The kind of joy that leads a, a widower or a cancer patient or the grieving man or woman or a chronically ill person to show up to the gathering of the saints and sing praise to God, though their circumstances are crushing. We need that kind of joy, don't we? Don't we? Yes, I need that kind of joy, precious saints. And that, that kind of joy is only found in the gospel. That kind of supernatural gladness in God is only obtainable in the gospel. So may we be the same things, church. 
John Piper says this about never moving on from the gospel, but only growing in greater depths of it and loving God with joy in our hearts. He says this, seek to see and feel the gospel as bigger as years go by rather than smaller. Our temptation is to think that the gospel is for beginners and then we go on to greater things. But the real challenge is to see the gospel as the greatest thing and getting greater all the time. The gospel gets bigger when in our hearts, grace gets bigger, Christ gets greater, his death gets more wonderful, his resurrection gets more astonishing, the work of the spirit gets mightier, the power of the gospel gets more pervasive, its global extent gets wider, Your own sin gets uglier. The devil gets more evil. The gospel's roots in eternity go deeper. Its connections with everything in the Bible and in the world get stronger. And the magnitude of its celebration in eternity gets louder. So keep this in mind. Never let the gospel get smaller in your heart. Amen. Amen. Church, if there is one thing that we as pastors exist for while we have the temporary privilege to serve you as pastors, because this life is a short, temporary life, while we have this little glimpse of time to serve you as pastors, our, our aim, the reason why we exist is to relentlessly labor so that in your heart, grace keeps getting greater God's glory grows more and more glorious and to never let the gospel get smaller. That's why we exist as your pastors. Our hope is that your joy keeps getting bigger and bigger as you grow in greater depths of loving Christ through the gospel. Our verses today in Romans 5 show us and assure us of what we have in the gospel. And so point our hearts to the true empowering source of joy for our lives. The first thing we see in verses 6 through 8 is we have been loved by God when we were at our worst. We have been loved by God when we were at our worst. Verses 6 through 8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. To have joy in our salvation, we have to understand just how miraculous and filled with grace our salvation truly is. God didn't choose to love us because we were so lovable. And I think sometimes we can be tempted to think that, like, who wouldn't love me? God didn't choose us because we were so lovable. It's easy to love those who love us back. But notice how we're described in these verses. Weak, ungodly sinners. That's how we're described. Apart from the saving work of Christ, apart from his transforming work, we are weak, ungodly sinners. We were weak or spiritually sickly or helpless, unable to save ourselves. Nothing we could bring to the table. We're not bringing strength to the table. We're not like mighty ones who God's just like, I just can't wait to get that guy on my team. 
We're the weak ones, the sickly ones, the frail ones, the ones no one wants to pick on the football field, right? That last one. We're ungodly, it says. So we're not in right standing with God, opposed to God. At our core, we love what he, what he hates. In close connection to being ungodly, in verses 9 through 10, we're described as enemies of God. So we're ungodly, enemies of God. We are turned against God. Let me, let me just go back two seconds. Oh, this is when I wish I could just erase words that I've said. Distracting, silly things. (laughs) This may seem silly to you, but if you were picked last on the football field, you were not sickly and weak. That was a silly illustration. Forgive me, church, for saying that. Silliness. I'm just proving the point of being a sinner. We were sinners apart from the grace of God. We living corrupted lives, missing the mark of God's call upon creation to love and exalt him. We are ungodly, weak, enemies, sinners. That's the description of us. The scripture purposefully is drawing our attention to the fact that we were not the cream of the crop. We did not bring anything into this relationship that could earn God's love or somehow sway him to love us. We did not and we could not bring anything into this relationship that somehow added to it. We brought our helplessness and sinfulness while we were at our worst. just in case we still don't quite fully grasp the severity of our inability and yet the astonishing love of God poured out for the undeserving. Verse 7 continues to build this case to show just how undeservingly loving God has been toward us. The, the, The illustration that the scripture uses in these verses is this. Someone scarcely or rarely would be willing to give their own life, to die for a morally upstanding person, a righteous person, though that's rare. They, they may rarely do that for someone they're not really in relationship with, but they're morally upstanding. And it's even more possible that for someone we're in relationship with and they are warm and kind and good towards us, that, that we would be willing to die for them. We, so we might be willing to die for someone we know who's righteous, who's morally upstanding. We probably more likely would be willing to die for someone who's good to us, someone that we're probably in relationship with. Think of a soldier with a, a friend or a parent for their child. The point is, that we may be willing to die for someone that we may respect or someone that is good towards us or that we're in close relationship with, but who would die for someone who hates them? Who would die for an enemy? Who, would, who of us would die for someone who has done evil towards you? That's the illustration being put, put before us. Think about it this way. Think about someone that for whatever reason, and we all have had, have had these people in our lives, it seems like you've done everything to try and treat this person rightly, and they just act like they hate you. 
They talk about you. They can't stand you. They say unkind things about you. Every time you talk, they mock you. Would you give your life for them? Would you die to save them? I think the answer, and this is kind of what's being put before us, is who would do that? Nobody. But God. But God shows his undeserving, incomparable, unfathomable, gracious love for us. In that while we were still sinners, ungodly, evil, enemies of God, hating God, mocking God, Christ would die for us. And this is to display the love of God for you. Precious saints, the love of God displayed that while you were still a sinner, evil, hopeless, helpless, Christ would die for you. Listen, listen to the present and past tense of verse 8. It says, God shows his love. For any of our English folks like, who love just diving into English stuff, maybe none of us, I don't know, maybe there's one of us in here, but present active indicative. So it, it's the sense of God is actively showing his love today, actively, ongoing. This is what he's holding up to you. When you're questioning, God, do you love me? Do you really love me? In the midst of trouble and, and heartache and difficulty, this is what he's holding up over and over again for you to see. It's he's showing it actively to you. Look at this. When you question my love, look here. Look at this. And what is it? It's the past tense of Christ dying for us. Amen. Present Know my love in the present. Know that I love you today by looking in the past, looking to what I have done for you through Christ on the cross. That's the declaration. And it's this ongoing looking. You never move on from that. He's never going to say, I'm going to stop showing you the cross of Christ and convince you I love you any other way. He's saying, I'm convincing you I love you, that I gave my son to die for you when you were an enemy. Be convinced that I love you. That's the word here. Precious words. Precious words. I love it. I just, I just so often in a visual guy, and I just picture that. I just, just, that's what the Lord just keeps holding up. This visible expression of, of Calvary. The cross of Christ. That's the picture he just constantly keeps showing you. When you're struggling in sorrows and you're weak and you're weary, what is he going to show you? Look to what I have done for you as a display of my present day love for you. When you're wrestling in sin and you're, you're, you confess it, but you're convinced, you're hearing the whispers, as we sang earlier, of the guilt and the shame. And how could he love me? And he says, look here. Look to Calvary. Look at the cross of my son. Look there and be convinced of my present day forgiveness and love for you. And he never stops. He shows us his love through what he's done in the past. Through Christ on the cross. The present is affected by this past tense. God intends that your memory 
be marked or seared in a good way by one thing that displays and assures you of his absolute unquestionable love for you, the cross of Christ. That's it. So often we question God's love because we are looking to something else to assure us of his love. We're looking for the outpouring of the gifts of the Spirit to show He's with us and He loves us. But that's not His ultimate display of love for you. We're looking for Him to just answer that prayer exactly how I've prayed it. But that's not how He promises to show His love for you. We look for things just to go right, just to go my way. Favorable circumstances to show that God loves me, but that's not how He promises to show His love for you. We look for tokens of God's love, little pieces of God's love. I've heard, I think it's Jerry Bridges who says it in that way. We look for tokens of God's love instead of looking at the pillar of God's love. Precious saints, let his past proof of love for you assure you in the midst of present day uncertainties. And that can be with big things and the everyday little small things that tempt our hearts. Can I tell you one of those small, silly things? Man, I'm just laying it out there for you today. I've had to confess sin in front of you. I've had to ask for forgiveness in front of you. Oh my goodness. This past week, you know, I had these health issues, and I'll share more about that later. I've got some doctor stuff coming in October I'm looking forward to, but I don't want to keep drawing attention to that because you, there's so many of you who suffer, who are struggling. So I, I'm, not, I'm not putting this before like this is some greater struggle. This is actually a pretty silly struggle of me. So we were, we were going to go out to eat. We purpose, we budget to go out to eat. At least once, once a week, we're, we're going to just have a family time and go out. And so we were going to go to a, a sandwich place on Friday night where we just, let's just go get a good sandwich. And we found a place, uh, a pretty upscale place called Slotsky's that we were going to go to. And, and we said, let's go to Slotsky's. They have gluten-free bread. Like, oh, yes. And I love a good gluten-free bread sandwich from Slotsky's. I'm, I can think about that Fiesta chicken. I can order it right now. And we're driving there, and I'm just anticipating that. I'm, oh, yes. And we pull up, we walk in, and I'm eager to, to order this thing. And they tell us, oh, sorry, our, our shipment didn't come through. We have no gluten-free options today. And my heart just was, oh, my heart just sank. So you how weak of it. It's silly I am. It, but, but, but so we're like, well, what are we going to do? And I, I, I'm kind of starting to throw a pity party and I'm just getting upset about it. Like, I just wanted a good sandwich, Lord. Like, I just want to eat a sandwich. And I said, well, just can we order it? And it's just OK. And so I ended up taking it all off of the bread and all this kind of stuff. And I'm sitting there looking and I'm just I'm feeling this heaviness and this sorrow in my heart. I can't even eat a sandwich. I can't just have a good sandwich, God. And I know it sounds so silly, but in that moment, 
It was like the Lord applied and reminded me, you have all that you need in me. What more do you need? Bread? On a sandwich? And, it, and the Lord just applied the truths of this, of this scripture. In that moment, my chariot of joy was having a good sandwich, a bread on a sandwich. And when I didn't get it, what happened to my joy? Broken, sunk, crushed. It seems silly, but how often do we do that? How often are we doing that? But here's where I'm so glad for his grace. Because as I recalled what I have received in God, that I'm loved by God. This sandwich doesn't display his love for me. Christ on the cross does. And I literally felt joy rise in my heart and gladness for eating that breadless sandwich. Thank you, Lord. Church, may the Lord apply these simple truths of the gospel to you, to your life. That's what we're aiming for here. That's what we're aiming for here. Jerry Bridges says this. If you, have, if you can read anything by Jerry Bridges, read it. Go buy everything he has and just read it. He says, if we want proof of God's love for us, then we must look first at the cross where God offered up his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Calvary is the one objective, absolute irrefutable proof of God's love for us. Amen? Amen. If we are to know joy as Christians, if we are to obtain joy, to have joy, we need a constant, fresh understanding of what we have deserved and what we have received in Christ. We need a right view of our being sinners, but an even greater view of God's love for us that's displayed through Christ's death for us. Church, that is why, and one reason why, we have our confession and grace moment every Sunday. That's what we're doing, isn't it? We're retaking our eyes and saying, look to Christ. Yes, you're a sinner. Be aware you're a sinner. We need to. The Spirit's helping us see that we're sinners. But even more so, oh man, you take, we don't just stare at our sin. When we're aware of it, we see it. The Spirit shows it to us. But even more quickly, we take our eyes from there and we look upon Calvary. We look upon what Christ has accomplished on the cross. That's what we're looking at. And every Sunday, we just say, you know what? How quickly we forget from week to week. Six days can be so long sometimes. And they can be like such roller coasters So what do we need every Sunday to be reminded to look at what God has done for us on the cross? Amen. 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 So we want to just keep beelining it to it. Beelining to the cross. Oh, to keep building upon this truth. These verses go on to show us that Jesus didn't just die for us with no outcome. There was work that Jesus did on our behalf to display the love of God for us. And so we, as we look upon the gospel and rehearse the gospel, we see, we, so we saw one, that we have been loved by God when we were at our worst. And now two, in verses 9 through 10, we have been brought into a loving and peace-filled relationship with God. Hear these verses. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, 
shall we be saved by his life. These verses use two words to describe what Jesus dying for us accomplished. He justified us, which is legal language, and he reconciled us, which is relational language. So what does it mean that Jesus' death justified us before, before God? We, being ungodly, sinners, enemies of God, left us guilty before God. Like standing before the cosmic judge of the universe, we are guilty and we deserve his wrath and punishment for our sins. But when Christ was nailed to the cross on our behalf, all of our sin guilt for past, present, and future sins. Hear that. All of our sin guilt for past, present, and future sins were placed on him and the punishment we deserved was poured out on him instead. Our sin punishment was poured out on Jesus and his perfect righteousness was poured out on us. That is really good news. Really good news. None of that righteousness is of our own. It's imputed to us. It's Jesus' righteousness covering us so that as God now looks at at us, he no longer sees the filthy rags of sin. He sees his son's perfect, obedient righteousness. Amen. Amen. So now we who were once enemies of God are forgiven. He looks at us and sees his son's righteousness forgiven. Forgiven. And so then counted in good standing before God. For past, present, and future sin. His justification never runs dry because his grace never runs dry for past, present, and future sin. Often when we wrestle with assurance of faith, it's because we have forgotten what justification really is. We have forgotten that he's paid for past, present, and future sin. And that it's not any of our righteousness that we brought to the table. It wasn't your righteousness that got you saved. It's not your righteousness that keeps you It's all his. It's all his. And guess what? His righteousness is never going to get dirty. And if you're covered with that righteousness, that's really good news. Often when we're struggling with assurance of faith, that is what we're struggling with. Justification. So then when it says that Jesus' death reconciled us to God, because we are now counted in good standing before God, clothed in Christ's righteousness, who were, we who were once enemies and in a, an opposing relationship to God are now brought into, we are now brought into loving, peace-filled relationship with God as friends and even better as sons and daughters. You have been accepted and received by God himself. That's amazing. That's amazing. The gospel declares that because of Jesus' death 
For those who by faith are united in Christ, God never looks at us the same again. Church, be convinced of that. Because by faith, when we're united with Christ, God never looks at us the same again. So question for you, are you convinced of that? Are you assured of that? Is that assurance to your heart? Are you aware of that as you wrestle and struggle? This kind of seems like a silly question to ask, but, and I wouldn't ask this to every congregation probably, but church, you are so humble and you are so sweet. And I think it's fitting for me to ask you this as your pastor and under shepherd. Do you know that God loves you? Are you aware of his love for you? Are you convinced that he loves you? He's not a slave driver towards you. He's not holding all your sin against you still if you're in Christ. You're no longer an enemy. He's not toying with you. He's not against you. He loves you. He undeservingly set his affections upon you, not because of your performance, not based off of anything you did or will do, but because of his grace. The... the, Absolute, amazing. I just, sometimes I just, I'm like, Lord, I don't even fully comprehend it. How you would choose to love a sinner like me. It amazes me. He set his affections on you, precious church, when you were at your worst. And how much more now, essentially this passage is saying, how much more now that he lives and you are his, does he work to lovingly care and keep you? I have to remind myself of this often. The Lord, because of his justification and the reconciliation I have in Christ, and this is true for you if you're in Christ, the Lord counts no sin against you in Christ. Here, here, Romans 4. So just a chapter before this, Romans 4, verses 7 through 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will count, will not count his sin. In Christ, that is true for you, precious saints. Do you believe it? Now we know Romans is a big book and this sermon is a small sermon. That doesn't give us freedom to go live in sin. The heart who's tasted grace says, I am grieved by my sin and I don't want to continue doing my sin. And when I do it, I'm grieved by it. I'm not talking, it's just not, it's not a license to sin, but I'm talking about salvation and being kept by grace in God. Let that assure you, precious saints. The result is to be joy. 
Joy in the Lord for his goodness towards you. Jerry Bridges says this, God's unfailing love for us is an objective fact affirmed over and over in the scriptures. It is true whether we believe it or not. Oh, I'm glad for that statement. Our doubts do not destroy God's love, nor does our faith create it. It originates in the very nature of God who is love and it flows to us through our union with his beloved son. You are loved and accepted by God through the merit of Jesus. And you are blessed by God through the merit of Jesus. Nothing you ever do will cause him to love you any more or any less. He loves you strictly by his grace given to you through Jesus. Are you experiencing both the peace of God that comes with salvation and the joy of God that comes with living by grace each day? If not, listen to this. If not, you may be saved by grace, but you are living by works. The realization that my daily relationship with God is based on the infinite merit of Christ instead of my own performance is a very freeing and joyous experience. But it is not meant to be a one-time experience. The truth needs to be reaffirmed daily. Isn't that true? It's not just something we experience once. It is reaffirmed daily. And for some of us, like me, it's reaffirmed moment by moment by moment by moment, isn't it? You don't love me, Lord, based off of my performance. You love me based off the merit of Christ Jesus in whom I trust. Oh, that's good news, saints. Is it good news to you, precious saints? Yes. Let it be good news. Let it fall upon your heart like good news. Understanding and growing in greater depths of what it means to be justified and reconciled to God is pivotal for the Christian's daily joy. You show me a joyless Christian. Now remember, we defined joy earlier, gladness in God, even in the midst of tears, it can be there. It can be there in the midst of suffering and sorrow and grief, it can be there. But a gladness and a confidence in God that he's good to me and he's working all things for good and I'll be there one day with him and I can't wait to be with him. You show me a Christian who's lacking that, And often they're struggling with understanding, knowing, celebrating the justifying and reconciling work of God. Knowing that your relationship with God is not based off of your past, present or future performance, but solely based upon his immeasurable riches of grace. Ephesians His immeasurable riches. Riches of grace, it never runs dry, it never empties, it never stops. His grace is immeasurable, it just keeps on going, it just stays there. We, we ordered a car from Carvana at one point. This is our first van right when uh, Lily was born and, and we got this car and uh, it was amazing. It was a great experience. They bring the car to you. It was like, wow, this is just a gift after gift. They brought the car. They dropped off the van to us. 
And then the surprise, they, they had a gift for our brand new baby daughter. We, we opened up this gift. They had a, a onesie for our baby girl. Like, how did, that's amazing. The gifts that they're just pouring out, that's incredible. And so we were so glad. And then we go to fill up the gas tank for the first time. And we opened up the gas tank and there was a gas gift card in the, in the van. I'm not pitching this for Carvana. And I'll tell you, we, we bought another car from Carvana and none of that happened. So their gifts are not immeasurable. And that's actually the point. We were astounded. We were overwhelmed. We were, we were driven to smiles. and Wow, look at this, love. Look, they gave us a gift card and a gift for our baby. And this car is a fairly good deal. Like They dropped it off at our door. This is amazing. But eventually, the gifts ran out. They didn't keep continue loving us. Precious saints, I am a simple guy. And when I think about the immeasurable riches of grace that never runs out for us, my heart can't help but sing for joy. Thank you. How amazing that is, Lord. The grace I tasted on that first day, I can continue to walk in and taste today until that day I see your face. I can be assured your grace will never run dry. It's immeasurable. Oh, may my joy reorient my joy from those Carvana gifts, these little tokens of grace, to the immeasurable grace. Oh, my. Last, verse 11. All of this leads to verse 11. We now have access to the ultimate source of joy, God himself. Verse 11. More than that. Could there be more, Paul? Could there be more here, Paul? More than that. Not only that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Saints, sometimes you hear people talk of heaven like God isn't there. That the joy is in the heaven. The joy is in the only, only merely in the restored body. Now that's going to be glorious, isn't it? It's going to be glorious when we see little children who are just, they can go anywhere and play everywhere without threat. It's going to be joy. It's every day. We talk about this in our home. It's every day. is like a Sunday, we say. We can't wait for that. Where every day will be like a Sunday. Filled with feasting and loving and singing and fellowship and joy. But let's not forget the greatest joy that awaits us is not heaven itself. It is God, the God we will be with for eternity who is in heaven with us. He's what makes heaven so heavenly. It's him. Precious saints. Precious saints, sometimes I think in the same way we can talk about justification and reconciliation as if in those things, merely only those things, we have all of our joy. When the reality is those things, those doctrinal things are pointing to a person. They're connected to God personally. They flow from him. They point us to him so that our joy ultimately is, verse 11, in God himself. Oh, my Lord, make my joy in you. 
so much more. It all leads, it all leads not to an aimless joy, but to a joy in God himself. He is the treasure. Sometimes you can find people who celebrate justification like that's the end treasure, right? When it's pointing to God and he is the treasure, he is the delight that's to ignite joy within our hearts. (laughs) There's a show called Antiques Roadshow on PBS. <laughs> so we'll watch snippets of it every once in a while. And, a, and a, a while back, there was an older man who brought this blanket onto Antiques Roadshow. Antiques Roadshow, if you're not familiar with it, I'm sorry if I'm assuming everyone knows what that is. Um, Antiques Roadshow, they bring old things, antiques, to uh, an appraiser and they're seeing, is this worth anything? Does this have great value or does it have less, you know, does it have any value or any, you know, anything? And sometimes you find things that are great value. And sometimes someone brings something that's important to them and they want to see. And the appraiser says, yeah, it's not really worth anything. <laughs> you know, it's worth 50 bucks or something. There was a man, older man, who brought this blanket there. And as he brings it to this appraiser, the appraiser begins to be taken back as he's looking at this and almost kind of speechless. And, and he begins to ask the man about this blanket. He says, where did you get this blanket? He says, well, my grandma had, I don't know where she got it. Uh, I, was, I was brought up with this blanket. I mean, I would, I would lay in bed with this blanket. The blanket would cover me when I was cold. But, but you, we just kind of had it on a chair, just this old dirty blanket sitting there. And I just thought, you know what? It might have some value. So let me bring it and get it appraised to see if it has value. And the appraiser says, sir, sir, this blanket was a Navajo chief's blanket. And this, he says, sir, with his breath taken away, he says, sir, are you a wealthy man? And the old man says, no, we're I'm just a family of poor farmers. And he says, well, sir, what you have here is a national treasure worth more than half a million dollars. And, and the old man, how do you think he responded? Joyless? No way. No way. When he recognizes he had a treasure this whole time, right with him, the whole time of his life, he had this priceless treasure, this treasure with him. When he found it out, he, he began to, lips began to quiver. He began to cry tears of joy. And he said, I just, I, just, I just thought it was this old blanket that he just had on a chair. I can't believe this. Precious saints, sometimes we live like what we possess is like it's an old dusty blanket worth nothing. When the reality is it's all pointing to God himself and what we have is him. We have a priceless treasure. We have a priceless treasure that pulls at our hearts and says, look what you have. Don't worry about what's out there. Don't worry about what you don't have. Look what you already have. Look at the priceless treasure of God you have gained. Look at the priceless treasure of the gospel and rejoice. And precious saints, if we're seeing it clearly, if we're seeing it rightly, we should be like that old man, but even more so, who recognizes he has this treasure when all he thought he had, he was just some poor farmer who had nothing. 
Oh, oh, we are just a poor, wretched sinner who has everything in Christ. How we should respond with gladness and joy in the priceless treasure we possess. Amen? Oh, may the Lord do this. May the Lord do this in us. It's the call of Habakkuk. May the Lord do this. Pray this for us, precious saints. As we pray for one another, pray that we would be amazed at the treasure we have. That as we look at the gospel and we see what Christ has done for us, the love displayed through Christ on the cross, the, the, the justification and the reconciliation, ultimately that all bring us to having joy in God. Pray the prayer of Habakkuk 3.18. Pray this for us. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Amen. Amen. George Mueller says this as we close. George Mueller, love George Mueller, says, Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work even may have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat it is, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all other things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. Amen, Mr. Mueller. Amen. Church, may we never, may we never stop reading the gospel, learning about the gospel, singing the gospel, rehearsing the gospel, helping one another apply the gospel. May we never move on from the simple yet profound life-changing truths of the gospel. And in so doing, may the Lord fill us with a vibrant gospel joy as we grow in greater depths of knowing and loving and treasuring and taking joy in the God of our salvation. Amen? Let's pray.